Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So this episode drops on the 7th of November, which is the day after your birthday. Happy belated birthday to you. Oh, thank you. It's weird because it's actually in the future, so... It is in the future uh, because we are recording this before we left for our trip. So it's actually a couple of weeks ago that we recorded this. Um, But I'm sure we're having a great time. Mm, I'm curious about what kind of time we'll be having. Let's check in with future Kat and Jethro to see how things are going. Future Kat and Jethro? Thanks, Kat and Jethro from the past. Uh, Yeah, we're (laughs) we're having a great time. Kat's standing on the balcony right now of our cabin on the cruise ship in her underwear looking for whales. I saw flying fish. Flying fish. uh, What else did we see? We saw birds. And we're pretty close to the middle of the Atlantic, so that was confusing. Apparently, we're not too far from some very small islands. But I saw a peacock, not on the ocean. No, that was uh, be- on land. Yeah, it was before we we came out onto the high seas. Arr. He was at a castle. I'll tell you about it later, though, in more depth. Oh, you better believe I will. Not that she's obsessed with birds or anything. Obviously not. Well, that's it from here. Cat and Jethro from the past. Thanks, Cat and Jethro from the future. You did great, or do great. You're going to. You You're do. gonna. In the future, you'll be fine. You do good. As you know, I spent a number of years in Tucson, Arizona. Yes, Tuscan. I, I love Tuscan. I love me the old Pueblo. I do. Uh, I was fortunate enough to work at uh, the best radio station in town for a number of years. That station was uh, KRQ. They were fortunate to have you working uh, there. Let's uh, get it straight. And I became a University of Arizona Wildcat fan. And, That's right. You were wild about the cats. And in many ways, I still, even though I never went to the University of Arizona, I still think of it as my alma mater. Just because it was a exciting time in my life. And you were young. I was. It was a burgeoning career, and you were very enmeshed with them. That is true. And so this story means something special to me. Huh. It was May Day in 1995. A University of Arizona student named Brian Hance was reading the school newspaper, the Arizona Daily Wildcat. Uh, He noticed a strange article printed in it, and it caught his attention, but 
He didn't understand what, what it was about, so he quickly put it out of his mind. But then in 1996, he saw a similar strange advertisement in the newspaper, and because it had struck him as odd the year before, he remembered that. And then again, a year later in 1997, three years in a row, all the publications similar, but very, very strange and cryptic. Okay. Struck Brian as odd that these weird cryptic coded messages were showing up three years in a row on May Day in the same newspaper. So he started researching. He went to the newspaper's archives and he checked the publications of every newspaper on May 1st going back to 1981. I have a question. Do you know what May Day is? Like, why is it a thing? It means different things to different people. It's a rites of spring celebration in many cultures. Uh, It is the International Workers' Day. So it can mean a lot of different things to different people. Okay, I guess my question was, what's with the Maypole? Like, what is that just a spring thing? That's a pagan ritual. Is it just a celebration of, like, the spring time? As I understand it, yeah, the rites of spring. Okay. So he goes and he looks at all of the publications from May 1st going back to 1981. Every single paper had a strange publication from the same organization. They all included the word May Day and a series of codes and cryptic messages. This continues to this day, every May Day. For over 40 years, it's become known as the May Day Mystery. I'm intrigued. Well, it has to do with code breaking and puzzles, so I'm not surprised. (laughs) Brian became intrigued by these mysterious messages. He created a website called MayDayMystery.org, and it posts all of his research and links to various other articles in hopes that someone someday will be able to decipher these messages, but so far nobody has. I went to his website while researching this, and he has correspondence as recent as August of this year. Oh, wow. See, this is great, though, because so far nobody has, but we're going to give it to the freaks, and they're, like, the smartest, so they're going to figure it out. There's an interesting freaks tie here, too, that we'll get to. It's important to note, though, that the Arizona Wildcat archives only go back as far as 1981, but the publication itself dates back to the late 1800s. So these bizarre messages could predate 1981. They could be much, much older. We don't know. Each publication is different, but they're consistent in the sense that they all contain cryptographic multilingual content. Oh. This is one of the reasons why the May Day mystery is often referred to as Arizona's Da Vinci Code. Ah, yes, the Southwest's Rosalinia. Some speculate that this is all just a big hoax or a practical joke that somebody is playing, but... Given the fact that it's been going on for over four decades, and and by the way, it's not cheap to place an ad the size of these ads. Some of them are full page, mm. cost anywhere between a thousand to seventeen hundred bucks a pop. So you're talking about fifty, sixty thousand dollars over a period of years that were spent on these ads. Some speculate it's the work of a secret society. Ooh, like a Illuminati kind of deal. Like an Illuminati kind of deal. Opus Dei. I guess that's not really a secret society. It's an esoteric religious sect connected with the Catholic Church. Some say that uh, these publications are some sort of an invitation or directions or instructions on how to gain access to their meetings as well as the topics of discussion. They often include GPS coordinates 
and they're real GPS coordinates. Oh. Yeah. I looked up one of them, and it's like, in the message, it's referred to as the Hotel California. Okay. And it is a building in California, and it looks like a big mansion. And from the sky, the building is the shape of a crucifix. Interesting. Yeah, that's what I thought. Very Da Vinci Code. There's a map online that pinpoints all of the locations, all the GPS coordinates that are given, mm -hmm. um, and the locations are all over the globe. I was just going to ask, are they centrally located? But no, they're, nope. they're everywhere. Everywhere. As the messages have progressed over the years, they've become more complex, featuring difficult mathematical equations, biblical references, geometrical patterns, and text in over 14 different languages. Mm. But there are some things that are in all of the publications. One of those things are the letters SR forward slash CL. SR slash CL. And there's also a, uh, a crudely drawn smiling face character. He's in every single mysterious announcement since the very first one that they can trace back in 1981. And so many people think that this crudely drawn smiley guy, which is what they call him, the smiley guy, is somehow maybe a key to deciphering the codes. Ooh. Most people think it seems as though there's some sort of secret society behind these messages. And they consistently mention four historical figures. Those figures are John Calvin, Martin Luther, Oliver Cromwell, and Gustavus Adolphus. And their significance is unknown. Okay, I know who most of those people are. Who's the last one? Adolphus is known as the father of modern warfare, or the first modern general. All right, not a great legacy. In the very first known publication, the letters SRCL are followed by the word Richmond, and then five Chinese characters, and then the words Mayday 1981. Now, the Chinese characters have been translated to the phrase, long live Chairman Mao. Now, Chairman Mao, of course, led the Communist Party of China from 1943 until he died in 1976. He was a communist revolutionary and is considered to be the founding, the founding father of the People's Republic of China. But does Richmond refer to Richmond, Virginia? We don't know. So who are, who's buying these? Who, who are these people? Uh, in a message from February 8th, 1989, now I have to point out the messages are not just on May Day. They have started releasing like almost quarterly reports oh, okay. as well. They referred to themselves in, in the uh, February 8th, 1989 ad as the orphanage. Okay, but are they increasing in frequency? They have over the years, yes, for whatever reason. Okay, I just think we need to be aware if they start increasing more and more, because that would feel like it was ramping up towards something. Oh, it's ramping up towards something. Is it? For sure. Oh, God. What is it? They refer to the organization in this particular uh, bulletin, if you will, or, or quarterly report as the orphanage. And they refer to themselves individually as the freaks. What? Yeah. So, I mean, the orphanage makes sense because it's people who don't have a place otherwise. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And the individuals refer to themselves as the freaks. Huh. Interesting. Um, some have speculated that the orphanage is a reference to the orphans of the crusade. 
or, or the Children's Crusade. Wikipedia called it a failed popular crusade by European Christians to establish a second Latin kingdom of Jerusalem in the Holy Land in the year 1212. Now here's the story behind the orphans of the crusade. The story goes that a boy began preaching in France, some say Germany, after claiming to have been visited by Jesus. Uh, Jesus instructed him to lead a crusade in order to peacefully convert Muslims to Christianity. And a number of miracles allegedly occurred, and he ultimately gained a following of about 30,000 children who all just left their homes oh and became orphans on their own. And he led the orphans toward the Mediterranean Sea, believing that the sea would part like it did for Moses in the Old Testament, and that they could walk to Jerusalem. But that didn't happen. Mm. Two merchants gave free passage on boats to as many of, of the children as were willing. The orphans were then taken to Tunisia, where they were sold into slavery. Very by, Pinocchio. By the merchants, yeah. All we need is like a whale. Some of the orphans were said to have died in a shipwreck on uh, San Pietro Island. It's unknown if there is a connection to the orphans of the crusade, and if so, what that would be exactly. But it's an interesting story. During Brian's research, he was able to trace the ads back to an attorney who placed them. Oh. So he made some headway there. The attorney's name uh, was uh, or is Robert Truman Hungerford. And he did identify himself as the legal counsel for the organization. He was the one that was publishing the organization's ads and the puzzles and the ciphers and the code for at least the, the past 10 years. Wow. So Brian tracked this guy down and confronted him, but Hungerford refused to discuss the origins of the orphanage. He did admit that he was the one placing the ads. Right. He told Brian, quote, it is in all likelihood that I am a disturbed, mentally ill person, and these writings are no doubt the ravings of a madman. Well, that sounds like something he was paid to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a little suspicious. Now, it would be easy to assume that all of the research that Brian has done on the organization, on this mysterious, these mysterious publications and the orphanage might put himself in danger. It seems to be the complete opposite of that, though. In 1996, the orphanage started reaching out to Brian directly through email. They say in their email that their announcements are not a game and that there is definite reasoning behind them, and that their cause is not exclusive to just Tucson or the University of Arizona. Hmm. They've even offered Brian some clues on how to decode the messages, suggesting that he, quote, work from the edges of the diagram in toward the center, and that he should get help with his Greek and Hebrew. Brian has received over 100 emails, packages, and letters from all over the globe from the orphanage. In one piece of correspondence, they actually sent him some money, saying that his efforts have been generally beneficial to both our strategic and tactical goals, and you deserve to be fully rewarded. Interesting. He regrets getting involved in this because he said it's just become just so intense and sure. weird. Now, there are those who suggest that this mysterious organization is somehow connected to the ancient worship of Baal. According to Israel News, April 19th is a meaningful day for the worshipers of Baal. And Baal worship goes back to the ancient Sumerians, and it's considered to be, by some, an occult religion. Okay. 
According to Israel News, April 19th is a meaningful day for the worshipers of Baal. That date is the beginning of a 13-day ritual. The 13th day is known as the blood sacrifice to the beast. And that day is May 1st, May Day. Huh. So, is this a clever, long-running, expensive hoax? Or is it something more nefarious? If you're interested in trying to solve the May Day mystery on your own, and I know you are, my love, you can check out Brian's website, maydaymystery.org. So interesting. I got my information from maydaymystery.org, the YouTube channel, Blame It on Jorge, uh, Wikipedia, and the Arizona Daily Wildcat. Here's my thought. Let's assume for a moment that it is a long-running, expensive hoax. Right. Who would benefit from that? My thought it would be the Arizona Daily Wildcat newspaper. They could have been printing it year after year, the tradition secretly passed down from one managing editor to another. Right, and that's the thing, is you yeah. know newspapers have traditions sure. and such. And it wouldn't cost them anything, yet it would generate great publicity and increase readership. Oh. Or they're worshipers of Baal. I'm not sure. Sure, one or the other. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer this message is sponsored by green light you know as your kids get older there are some things about parenting that gets easier i remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece if you put your pants on i'll give you some fresca and when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right it's a lot easier to manage them Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. 
And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. The Smell and Taste Treatment Research Foundation, yes, it's a thing, recently conducted a study to determine the scent that women found most arousing. Their findings? A combination of good and plenty candy mixed with cucumber. Hey, you're going to love this one. Steve emailed us, curator at theboxofoddities.com. My dearest Kat and Jethro, As an avid listener, I never in my wildest dreams expected my little English town to feature on an international podcast. So excited were my wife and I that we both managed to stay awake for the entire episode. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I am Grimsby born and bred and still live there in my cottage. Now, this is the story about the cheesemaker who fixed the clock. Right. Okay. My parents were married at Grimsby Minster And two of my grandparents had their funeral services held there. As an atheist, I'm not what you might call a regular visitor to this rather magnificent church, but they do make a nice cup of tea and slice of cake, which occasionally tempts me into its hallowed halls. My God, Steve, you can turn a phrase. Cake would do it for me, too. (laughs) Your episode left me slightly annoyed with our local newspaper in that they failed to report on the repair of the clock tower, and I have to hear it from a couple of crazy people in Florida. But you did an almost perfect job of telling the story. If I'm being pedantic, you kept referring to our magnificent building as a minister, inserting an unnecessary I after the N. But you're both so likable, I can forgive such a faux pas. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I I knew it was minster. Why did I keep saying minister? I, I don't know. Anyway, inspired by your episode, I took a short walk from my home to the minster this morning and have attached a couple of pictures for your delight. You may be able to make out the clock tower, and in particular, the time which shows 10.30 a.m. I could only but smile that the time was actually 11.45 a.m., and an hour <laughs> later I passed by, and it was still 10.30 a.m. <laughs> I made a concerted effort to track down the cheesemaking clock repair guy to ask for the $6 refund, but alas, he seems to have emigrated with his ill-gotten gains. Maybe he's retired to Florida? He goes on to say, as they say in these parts, you gets what you pay for. Amazing. Thank you, Steve. Keep up the good work and thank you for providing a spiritual home for your British freak family. Steve, it's our honor. We got a package at our UPS box from Christina. She sent me a book called Effin' Birds. Yeah, I saw that. It's so much fun. Thank you so much. It's almost like you're obsessed. I'm not obsessed. With birds. GT writes us, Good morning, Kat and Jethro. I'm sitting here at work listening to box 475, and Kat is telling the story about Mary Ritter Spaulding, the blue lady, from the Vale End Cemetery. And I almost spit out my coffee. I write this still in shock, per se, because that is my great, great, great grandmother. (gasps) I can't believe it. Thanks for all you guys do. Your podcast has gotten me through some pretty tough times this year. 
That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I, I wrote back to her and said, this is one of the best boo effects ever. It's true. That's incredible. I posted a picture of my eyeball on the Freaks group because I have a freckle on my eyeball. And for uh -huh. the longest time, because I was helping someone get out of a snowbank one time and the gravel kicked up and got me in the face. Oof. And so for the longest time, I thought it was a piece of gravel. Uh, but my eye doctor told me uh, not long ago that it's actually a freckle. Well, it's cute. Thank you. So I posted a picture of it, and I was like, does anyone else have freckles in their eyeballs? And Justin posted, I do not believe that that is a freckle, but a rare glimpse of your cannibalistic gene. Yep. Uh-huh. And so I wrote, stop, <laughs> Justin, stop. <laughs> I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat meat. But yet, I always seem to have a weapon that mm. would silence a human being. <laughs> and... Your Ancestry.com DNA report all right, all at right. one point That's enough. indicated that you came from uh, Papua New Guinea uh, cannibal tribe that has blonde hair. That's enough. It's a weird little thing, being married to a vegetarian cannibal. If I am, you might be, because we're technically related. Yeah, but that was a thousand years ago, and it was through marriage, so it doesn't count. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is not to be used in place of a cutting board when slicing meats, cheeses, or produce, because it gets your phone all icky and stuff. This is The Box of Oddities. The Aranta people, sometimes referred to as the Aranda, Aranta, or Arana, Arar, Ar, Aranta, are a group of Aboriginal Australian peoples. They are the original indigenous inhabitants of the Aranta lands in the central Australian region of the Northern Territory. The lands cover some 120,000 square kilometers, including the township of Alice Springs. At its center, as far as the Wallach Rock Hole to the east, Kings Canyon to the west, and as far as the Kata Tajuda National Park. They're historically a very spiritual group of people who believe we are all connected. And some supposedly believe that there is no such thing as a natural death, and that any hmm. death is the result of the actions of one's enemies. Oh, interesting. It was thought that a person's enemies could use magic to cause death. In many traditional Aboriginal beliefs, every death is caused by evil spirits or spells. And the death of one individual must be avenged by the tribe. When that's the case, a kurdecha might be brought in. A kurdecha or a kurdecha man is a type of shaman amongst the Aranta people. 
He's greatly feared and purported to be endowed with great knowledge and incredible power. And it's their job to help avenge the death of a tribe member. Hmm. Now, keep in mind that every tribe has and maintains their own very private rituals. And so it's not uncommon for the information widely available about these sometimes sacred practices to suffer from mistranslation and misinterpretation. The identity of the culprit, the person who would be responsible for the death of the other tribe member, may be revealed by the dying person to a medicine man. And if it's not, there are other ways to make that determination. For instance, if there is a burrow being made by an animal on a particular side of the grave of the recently deceased, that may be interpreted as showing the direction to the killer's habitation. Oh, really? If that doesn't happen, a council may be held consisting of the elders in the group to which the deceased belonged. And if it is decided that their death has to be avenged by the Kardecha, the person who is to perform this role would be chosen during that meeting. When it's determined that a particular person is responsible, mm -hmm. then they go kill that person? Yeah, we're getting there. Okay. The Kardecha is also the name given to by Europeans, the shoes that this medicine man might wear during the ceremony. They might be made from braided hair and padded with emu feathers. In some places, a similar figure in a tribe might be called a feather foot because of these shoes. Hmm. The footwear consists of a thick pad of emu feathers matted together with blood drawn from the arm of a young man. And then human hair strings are made from a living person on the upper surface. The shoes hold such power that then when they're not in use, they are hidden from the sight of women and children. Wow. When not in use, they're kept often in a kangaroo skin or hidden in a sacred place. That's powerful footwear. Yeah. And although they may be used more than once, they're generally not meant to last more than one journey because these people are travelers. I see. The person chosen to do the deed will wear the shoes. However, there is one prerequisite. He has to have one of his small toes ritually dislocated. <laughs> okay. The joint of the toe is softened by applying a warm stone, and then the toe would be pulled outward with a sudden jerk, causing it to dislocate. Why would you do that to a guy that has to go kill somebody? It's part of the ritual. I wonder what the meaning of that is. I do not know. What's behind that? But they don't relocate it. It stays dislocated. Forever? No wonder they have so many emu feathers in those shoes. It's said that the footwear actually has a little pocket inside for the dislocated toe to live in. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's a specific toe. It's one of their outer toes. Oh, the outer the, toe, okay. The baby toe. The little piggy that went wee, wee, wee all the way home. Do you know for the longest time, I thought this little piggy went to market meant that they were like going to shop for groceries? That's what I thought. <sighs> it's probably not the case. Yeah, no, no. But that's what I thought too. I, in my mind, I had this picture of like a cartoon pig, like maybe from the Three Little Pigs cartoon by Disney. Yeah, and holding a basket. Yeah, carrying a basket and going to the mark. Was it a woven basket? It was a woven basket, like a that's picnic. That's what I pictured, yeah, okay. exactly, a picnic wow. basket. That's weird. And he's going to fill it with baguettes and dried meats. Right, and then share them with his fellow pig citizens. Anyway, after the doer has been decided, 
and his toe has been dislocated, he's accompanied by the medicine man to complete his task. The two men are rubbed all over with charcoal, black being the Arunt tribe color associated with magic, and then the two are decorated. Both men carry shields and spears, and also one or more Turinga. What's that? It is an object made of wood. The examples that I saw kind of looked like they were in the shape of a shield. Okay. And they are they bear uh, designs which are supposed to impart them with courage, accuracy of aim, and strength, and also to render them invisible to their enemies. Well, that would be handy. Around their waist, each of them wears a girdle made with hair that has been cut from a warrior after his death, and that is supposed to add to the wearer all of the strength and war qualities of the recently deceased. What if the recently deceased was, like, just really into staying home and gardening? Oh, I think they wouldn't select him to take the hair from them. If the recently deceased was just a homebody who enjoyed his herbal garden, or herbal, if you will, what kind of warlike qualities would he have? No, you would use a different person's hair. You wouldn't use his hair. Okay. He's not got those warlike qualities that you want. I see. Okay. Though I think I would benefit from the hair of someone with a green thumb. Yeah, or the hair of somebody who was a bird expert. You know? Somebody who's obsessed with birds. Anyway, so the Kurdacha is followed by the medicine man um, until the enemy is sighted. And then the medicine man will fall back. And the Kurdacha will creep forward quietly, suddenly rising up and spearing the victim before they have a chance to know that they're even around. So apparently those Chiringas really work. Wow. So when somebody dies in a nearby village... You really have to watch your ass. Yeah, for real. Another way of avenging the death is by way of a pointing bone. The act of boning someone is <laughs> no is always done in secret. It's attended by a small number of suitably initiated men uh, who act as witnesses and support the What's the what's the initiation rights to be suitably initiated to witness a a boning in private? This is a spiritual event. Well, it can be. The bone is pointed on one end and covered with a lump of resin on the other. And the group will mutter curses over it so that the bone is then endowed with magical powers. The bone is then pointed in the direction of the victim and through, quote, diabolical agency, life essence is pulled through the bone. Hmm. Essentially, it's used to curse the victim in order to kill him or her. In some cases, the victim might be killed, brought back to life, and then return home to later pass away with no connection to the Kurdecha. That, that sounds exhausting. The practice of Kurdecha is thought to have died out completely in southern Australia by the 20th century, although it was still carried out, though infrequently, in the northern parts of the country. Wow. Unclear if it still happens, though, to this day. So getting back to this boning in private thing, what happens after the boning? I just told you. Because I just want to go to sleep. I guess you won't have to worry about it anytime (laughs) soon. I got my information from Spencer and Gillian Native Tribes of Central Australia, Ancient Origins, CoartCenter.org, and, of course, Wikipedia. Of course. 
Hey, we just had a flurry of new reviews on iTunes, and we really appreciate you so much. And we do appreciate it. A positive review, of course, helps us move the show forward, and uh, that momentum makes a big, big difference. We can grow the show, we can add new content, uh, and uh, we're looking at uh, doing some video stuff in the not-too-distant future. I think you're going to like this. It's going to be fun. So like, review, share, all that business. All you that. know how it goes. Yeah, and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.